Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. Oh my goodness. Well, Colorado, it's hotter than normal. That's for sure. I don't mind that part. You were asking earlier too, where I was originally from. And um, I'm originally from New Jersey, believe it or not. My husband visited Colorado about 19 years ago, fell in love and we moved 17 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so, um, so I'm getting used to the elevation. We live in for sure. For sure. And you know, my wife and I just got back from Montana, uh, on a trip here, uh, like two days ago. Um, but I'm progressively like the more I hang out in the mountains, the more I realize why everybody's drawn to it. Um, you know, it seems like every pediatric dentist that gets out wants to go set up shop in Denver, Bozeman or Salt Lake city or somewhere, you know, the mountains are a big draw to the millennial pediatric dentist crowd. And I get it now, you know, it's when you're stuck over in flatland, Missouri, you get drawn to the mountains. Like it's a cool place to live and hang out over West. So I'm a little bit jealous. It's very cool. It is. It is cool. It does take a little get getting used to it, the elevation. I noticed that after a while of living, I got I, I was acclimated after a while, and then I started traveling for a living. And when I'd go to sea level and I'd have to come back to sixty six hundred feet, I I'd really have to uh, reacclimate to the altitude all Arch. the time. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of traveling with uh, LCP, which we got all sorts of stuff to talk about with this. But uh, I imagine a big part of of, of your job now is traveling and meeting with dentists as part of your coaching strategies. Like you spend a lot of time in airports and, and, uh, on the road. Yes. And pre COVID it was quite delightful. And now I'm learning to adapt because I've found that in business, any business that is the key is adaptability. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning to adapt to it, but just about every other week I am on the road at a client's office. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back, and uh, I want to learn a little bit more about about your business. Um, I always like to give guests kind of a background of yeah. of why I have a, a certain guest on and how I got in in contact with each individual. But um, we uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, um, Mark Fernandez. Shout out to Mark in St. Louis here, and he's a a buddy of mine. He's a fantastic pediatric dentist, and he had recommended that I come introduce myself to you at AAPD. Uh, because I know that their office has worked with you in the past and they run a, they've got a big office with a lot of dentists and a type ship and, and, um, a good group of guys over there. But, um, he had recommended me to you and I know we got a chance to talk briefly at AAPD, but I thought it would be cool to get you on, learn a little bit more about, um, about your coaching business. And, um, I kind of wanted to talk about some, some different common hurdles you see, I guess, with, dentists at various stages in their career, pediatric dentists particularly, and kind of the things you see. But um, if you would, give me, just kind of start me from the beginning as far as your background and how you got into the dental coaching field and and the, the business of LCP. I'm sure it's like a, a, a real long story, but give me like kind of the highlights of how you got into this business. Yeah, highlights of this. I started, believe it or not, as a dental assistant 26 years ago. Um, and I've learned everything clinically. I, I was, I became very comfortable back there, but I quickly also realized that I loved the business side. So I learned everything that there was front office and I chose to stay in that area of the office. And it was, I, it was much better for the practice when I did that. Mm-hmm. So I, at one point I was working at an office as a financial coordinator 
after I had been an assistant for many years and the dentist came, pulled me aside one day and said, I just want you to know you're, you, you have all the clinical skills necessary, but you do not have the verbal skills necessary to do this job well. And I said, well, what do I need to do? Tell me what to read. Where do I need to go? And he said, we're going to hire a consultant to work with you. And that consultant changed my life. And from that point, uh, once I got all trained up in three months, we turned that practice around and she said to me, you can do what I'm doing. And that seed was planted. And after many, many years in the dental field, I um, water, it was watered profusely. And 10 years ago, I had an opportunity to work for Julie Weir and Associates, and she was a pediatric dental specific coaching consulting company. And so that's, that's how it all started. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to ask this question so that I don't forget because my little scatterbrain will get, get off track here. But, you know, on the topic of, of <laughs> getting a consultant, you know, there's, it seems like pediatric dentists get really split on, um, you know, you've, I think maybe the bigger, more established offices that really want a second set of eyes on their system seem to be more likely to have a, a consultant come in. But obviously you work with a whole range of dentists, but does it seem like, you know, dentists are more resilient or um, resistant to the idea of of investing in a consultant when um, it seems like the majority of, you know, obviously most major companies, Fortune 500 companies, publicly traded companies will invest a ton of money on consultants to come in millions and billions of dollars. <laughs> to come in. But, uh, you don't see as many dentists doing that, even if they might benefit. But, um, you know, do you, what what kind of trends are you seeing for like, the demand or lack thereof or excess demand with uh, consultants working with dentists these days? What I find is most people, although they need guidance, don't necessarily want to be told how to do things. They want to be informed how can they figure out how to do these things. So the biggest piece of this and, and, and something that me, my, myself and my team keep in mind when we're working with teams is we don't fish for people. We teach them how to fish. So they could be self-reliant and continue to succeed in their businesses. So I think a lot of times when people have the mindset of a consultant, unfortunately, that term has a negative connotation over the years of they're just going to come in and change everything. They're going to fire everyone. Um, they're just going to want to do things their way. And that's pretty true. There is a lot of consultants that operate that way. Uh, one of the things that I learned early on in my career is that I don't want to be that person. When that consultant worked with me, she gave me a lot of pointers and I made it my own and made my practice very successful. So about eight years ago, I had the opportunity to get leadership coaching by uh, John Maxwell. Have you heard of him? I have. Mm -hmm. And so he's this huge leadership expert uh, all across the country, all across the world. And he taught me something and he said, Lily, you need to learn how to be a coach and not a consultant. A consultant tells people what to do and a coach empowers people to be the best version of themselves. And you just draw out of them their vision and their heart and what they want. And we do all of our coaching that way. We customize it to every single client. And I really attribute so much of our success to, to that, that I'm not bringing my vision into your practice. I'm helping you in, envision yours. So who all, what, what is your team composed of? I was, I was kind of looking at your website and getting a feel for everybody that's there, but, um, it, it looks like this is a multi approach. Like, tell me more about like the team members involved and some of the services that you guys do for LCP, uh, coaching. 
great. Well, you'll notice one of the team members there is my husband, and he has a financial background, uh, worked in the banking industry, and when it comes to business analyses that we do for clients and um, reading their profit and loss statements and making sure that all the numbers are trending the way they're supposed to, he's a key guy for us in that aspect. Um, he came on board shortly after I acquired Julie Weir and Associates, and that was, oh, it'll be eight years ago in September that I bought the business. And then uh, you'll also notice that we have two other coaches, traveling coaches, Stephanie and Jody. Um, Stephanie has 18 plus years in pediatric dentistry. Um, and then Jody started in dentistry 25 years ago with a startup and then ended her career a year ago with a dentist she was with for 20 years and helped him retire and go through that whole transition. So it's been a, a very interesting journey for all of us. And uh, we've, we, we're very big on, what we learned during COVID is that Zoom is very beneficial. It, it, it has its place. It cannot replace being on site and seeing with our own eyes what's working and what's not in an office. And so we, we all do a lot of traveling, but we also do a lot of support here internally for our clients as well. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to ask that and you beat me to it was if, if COVID had shifted things to more of a virtual, a, more virtual meetings, but it, uh, yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you. It's there's, it's hard to replace that in the flesh face-to-face -face person, you know, meeting. It just, it makes things more efficient and I feel like more gets accomplished at those meetings. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I do have back to your original question about doctors being resistant to the whole consulting piece of it. I do find that when doctors are very are big on personal development, uh, leadership development, self-care, all of those things, I find that then they want that for their teams. Because when you invest in a coach, it's not just for you. In, in our regard, when you hire us, it's, it's, it's the entire team is going to reap the benefit of it. And so when I've noticed is that when doctors have a true care and concern for their team members. And when they understand, take great care of the people that are going to take great care of you and they build them up, that's when um, practices really flourish. And those are the doctors that uh, philosophically, we work really well together. Have you heard that saying where CFO asks the CEO, what if we invest in them and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. It seems to be a consistent theme too. Um, you know, amongst other um, advisors, consultants, coaches, or even like really well-established pediatric dentists, there's not a lot of things that dentists all widely agree upon, but it seems like the people that run yeah. really well, well-run practices with, um, you know, seem to be really successful, always have a really good team culture and they put a lot of emphasis and they invest a lot in their team. And I've, I've met, um, as I'm sure you have as well, dentists on both sides of the aisle that don't um, spend the time investing in their team and have tons of turnover and lots of burnout. And, um, as, as you know, like the HR side of things is a really difficult part of what we do every day, especially in pediatrics with the big teams that we have. And, um, and obviously you don't get any coaching or, uh, education on that in dental school or in residency. It's, you know, all that HR and leadership and team aspects are things you kind of learn on, along the way. So it's, um, it's, it's cool that you guys emphasize that because mm -hmm. it's clearly like a, a hot topic if you're, uh, if you own a practice. Yes, yes. And that business side of it, 
that's it. You guys went to school to become dentists. That's what you know how to do extremely well. I never tell a dentist how to practice their dentistry. I just help them understand how to run a successful business, a business where they can look forward to going to work every day, not go home exhausted, have enough energy for their family, for themselves, and and be able to be productive with the time that they're there. And everybody is using their, their skills properly and patients and parents are being well cared for and it's just a really good good harmony. That's what you want in your life, and and that's what we help doctors find, and Fantastic. their team members for sure. So let's um let's get into a, a few nuts and bolts here. Uh, the main exercise I wanted to do with you, and I wanted to leave some time to do this, was to kind of go through a couple of the major um, life steps, I guess, or like professional career steps for a typical pediatric dentist. So maybe we could break this down into. Um, let's say like an associate, and I'm, I'm sure you probably maybe don't work with as, uh, as many associates, but we could say like associate slash, um, really early career dentists and then, uh, early practice owners or like either a de novo starts within the first couple years, like first year or two in that growth phase or newly acquired acquisition. And then like a more established, you know, three to five to 10 year solo doc. And then like a big multi-practice multi-doctor, group, you know, maybe that four ish, uh, stages. I, I just wanted to break that down, kind of go one by one, spend a few minutes on, on each, and then just kind of pick your brain on the common trends and issues, I guess, that you see at each stage. Um, you know, like, I guess common things that you see and just, we'll kind of chat about them. So does that sound okay if we kind of go through it like in, in that sort of fashion? Yep. That, that sounds wonderful. I feel like we could talk about this all night, so we'll make sure to keep it brief. <laughs> no, we could, we can make a full podcast out of each one. So, um, let's start with talking, I guess, <laughs> about, uh, if you are an associate or a new pediatric dentist, you're fresh out of school, you're stacked with student loans, you know, you've got a wife or husband and kids at home and bills to pay and things stacking up and you've been all, all this delayed gratification forever. And, you know, you've maybe got your first job, but practice ownership is, is in the future or on your mind. Um, you know, it's honestly probably a stage that a lot of listeners are at, not all, but a good chunk of the listeners are at. How often do you work with clients like that? And, um, what maybe if, if you get a phone call from a client like that, what are the common things that you're discussing with, with pediatric dentists at that stage in their career? Interestingly, pre-COVID and even and even during Julie Weir's reign of the consulting firm, startups were not a very big focus for us. And, and there were a couple of reasons why. One is because a startup is needing to be very judicious about how they spend every single penny. And so, of course, hiring a consultant, as you know, can be very pricey. Um, as far as the type of comprehensive coaching that we provide, uh, Julie had not figured out a way to be able to, to offer that um, to startups. During COVID, I was um, connected with certain several startups and I learned that this is a really big need. And, and so I came up with a program for startups um, that is still comprehensive in nature. It's a 12-month program that isn't quite as costly as a full 10-team 10, 10 member running practice. Um, and we're only working with a couple of key people at that point. So we came up with a program for them that gives them all the benefits, all the, the, the basic fundamentals, because here's, here's the reality with all of this is it's all about 
the habits that you develop and put in place that are going to determine your trajectory. And so a lot of doctors, if we're starting off with the wrong systems in place, the wrong processes, it's really hard to correct that ship when it's going in a certain direction, the bigger that ship gets. So what if, one of the main things with, with startups is, one, it's for the doctor. Many times they're, they are in an associateship and it's knowing when to transition from that associateship to their practice. And I, I believe in your case, I heard in one of your podcasts, you, you came on full time, didn't you, when you, when, you bought your, when you started your practice? I did. Yeah, I did the whole, my, my whole philosophy was like, was it Cortez when he landed in the Americas, burned his ships? That's what I always thought of was I'm going to burn the ships and go full five days a week. And it's either going to be a sink or swim. So yes, yes mm -hmm. I did go full time when I started up. Yeah. And that's not, not the norm. Typically I'm working more so with a, so with doctors who are still elsewhere and trying to figure out how to come to their office. And we try to get them there as quickly as possible. Um, but we know that those first six months are, are, are tricky. That first six months to a year are very difficult. And then what ends up happening too, at that point was what days are we going to be open? Because if you're only open two days a week and those two days a week are the same every single week, well, there's people that it just doesn't work. They can't get there. They need other days of the week. So can you stagger those weeks and make it maybe Monday and Tuesday one week and Wednesday and Thursday the other week? So coming up with creative ways of looking at things um, is, is a very big part of it. And then here's the other piece to all of this. And you're about a year in and I'm interested to see what's happening with you. But mm -hmm. what I find with startups is when parents call to schedule, they put them wherever they want. But then you're going to get to a point where you can't put everybody at eight and four. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how are you doing with that phase as far as getting people to fill the middle of your schedule? Those well, in between to, hours. Sure. To your point, um, one of the, you know, there's a couple decisions I made that ended up being good decisions. One of which was uh, paying, paying well to build a good team with a lot of experience up front. So I have two rock stars up front, both have multiple years of pediatric experience mm. running a front desk at another peds office. I, I try to treat them really well because they keep the whole office running. And so they're really good about, because we already, I mean, we've only been open like a year and a half, but we, our new patient exams are out to like September plus. So like we're, and we have a, a fairly high no-show rate, but um, our, our community is super like high carries risk. Um, there's just a lot of needs, a lot of decay in the area. So we're always booked out. Our schedule's always full. Um, they're constantly doing confirmation calls. And if we get openings, they have a list, like a short list of people that they can call. Um, you know, we, we very rarely have any like outstanding gaps in the schedules. Like, and we have enough young kids, three, four, five year olds that aren't in school yet. Parents are at home. We see a fair amount of Medicaid. We kind of yeah. use Medicaid to fill those gaps. So between all those strategies, we, you know, we're bumping pretty much all day. And I know not all offices are like that, especially if they don't see Medicaid. But, um, but I just, to answer the short answer of it is, yeah, we, um, I, I feel like just having a good team up front who has some experience keeping that schedule yeah. full is really helpful. It's a good investment. And I, and I believe that that is genius. And I'm so glad you do that because so many doctors try to cut corners and they cut them in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. You want to have professional very well-paid people running your business. And, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, I don't have a lot of money for that. I'm going to pay them 15, 16 an hour up there. Well, you're going to get 15 to $16 an hour worth of production. <laughs> it's just not going to be to the level where it needs to be. So paying your people well, taking very good care of your people are critical right out of the gate. And then also that
that marketing piece. Uh, right now, a lot of practices are competing with DSOs with huge marketing budgets and doctors need to get their names out there. Social media needs to be a, a bigger. It's interesting because I remember back in the day when I would tell my doctor that we needed to do marketing and this was, you know, 20 something years ago, my doctor would say, no, 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 we're not a business. We don't do we don't do stuff like that. You know, I just put an ad in the newspaper. I put an ad in the yellow pages. And getting doctors to convince, convincing doctors with that old mindset, like, hey, we need to change our ways because your audience is looking in different places to be attracted to businesses. And, you know, being on social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff is also a big factor. Getting out into the community, building relationships, really, we are in a relationship business. Mm -hmm. and, and so the more that other, other professionals can meet you and know what you're about and refer to you that's going to go a long way too. Hmm. Uh, you know, this goes back to that, that tight on cash. I know that's going to be a consistent theme with this particular, um, you know, uh, step in, in a career path, just because I'm familiar with it. Cause I just am kind of coming out on the other end of this, but you know, that's it, when you're starting a practice, you're in the midst of things. It seems like cash is just so tight. And now, especially as everything's gotten really expensive to do a startup or, you know, acquire a practice and do all these investments, you know, the cost of my key tax cement that I cement my stainless steel crown with just got bumped up a whole bunch. And every time I'm reordering, I compare invoices, everything gets more and more expensive. And if you're a big established office mm -hmm. and you're seeing a, you know, a ton of patients, you've got a great cash flow, you can kind of absorb that. But it's really hard that first couple of years, to your point, um, it's hard to absorb that. And so, um, you know, it kind of goes back to like the consultant thing. It's um, not just consultant, but yeah, from a financial standpoint, getting the right people in your corner, paying for good help when you're on such a tight budget, you've maxed out, you know, with all these increases in um, overhead and, and supplies and costs and everything else. It's really easy to burn through that working capital that your bank has loaned you. Um, so I don't know, it's, I feel like it's mm -hmm. getting harder and harder and that, that margin of error is getting tighter and tighter where you really got to watch your, you know, the cash you got in the bank, you've got to, you can't be spending money friv frivolously, but then you're trying to walk that balance of, I still want to pay for the right people, um, financial advisors, consultants, get the right people in your corner, but to do that takes money. So that's like, that's a, a really hard part of being a new dentist that maybe doesn't get talked enough about is making those decisions on what, what's worth spending money on and what, what do you want to kind of pinch pennies on? I know it. And I, and uh, what we find is if, if if a startup is calling us early enough in the game where they're just they haven't even opened their doors yet, they're still in the process of figuring things out. We find that banks like knowing that there is a consultant in the in the dentist corner because now we're going to help them be successful business wise. We're going to help to expedite that process so banks know, OK, if you have that. So many times the banks will just allow them to put that on their loan. Um, to add that coaching fee in there. So that's a big help there. And then um, do you, um, so I was going to ask as well, Lily, have you ever come across uh, an early, well, I guess this could be an early dentist or a late career dentist. Have you ever come across a dentist that has failed or you're like, man, this, this guy or gal is too far gone. Like maybe this is such a disaster. This is going to be really hard to come away from. Obviously the default rate they say on dentists is like, you know, a half a percent or something really small. But now that you've been around, you've done this for mm -hmm. however, you know, whatever, like 
years and years and years. Have you run across 10 years, 10 plus years? Yeah. Have you run across any dentists that you've just been like, man, this either a cash flow thing, like we just talked about, or they just don't have the right personality or mindset. You're like, man, this person would be better suited staying in that, that associate role. Like, and maybe you advise them, maybe practice ownership isn't for you. Have you had to have that conversation before? That's a, that's a great question because typically what I'll find more than anything, yes, I have had my, my few doctors that I thought, shoot, it would have been much better if they would have stayed as an associate. And at times I might even discuss that with someone and and they'll say, well, I'm in it now. So help me figure out what I need to do. And here's the interesting thing, Casey, is that when someone wants something bad enough, kind of like burning those boats, when they're convinced that this is where I need to be and I should be and I don't have all the tools, give them to me and help me learn how to use them properly. Uh, we, we have seen a lot of people change that mindset and become tremendous business owners. And I, rem- I remember one of my uh, clients that um, was one of my first clients about 10 years ago when I first met her and she was just ready to give up. She would call me every day crying at the end of the, and at this point she had been in practice about, oh, let's see, five five or five years roughly. And she would just say, I just can't handle all of it. You know, I I have to do the dentistry. I have to manage. I have to do HR. I have to make sure that everybody's happy. I have to make sure so many pressures that are on you all. Cause this is one of the few industries where the business owner is also the one doing the the product, making the product where so many businesses we go to, we don't even know who the owner is. So you guys have a lot of pressure on your shoulders. What I found is that when when people are willing to become vulnerable and transparent and look inside themselves and say what is hindering me from getting to where i want to be and we're willing to to work on those limiting beliefs and and get the things out of the way so that we can make a better way it's it's limitless there's so many possibilities and though that's my passion is finding doctors that are in that position that say i know i can do this just help me get there Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've had many dentists say to me, I should have just stayed an associate, uh, especially, you know, several years in, I, I was making better money as an, I was making money as an associate, right? I, I could bring home pay and I, I just feel so horrible. And so we just, what we knew, need to help them do is change their mindset and their heart set quickly to the fact that they can do this. Here we are, you've invested 10, 12 years of your life in school to get to this level and if you're really committed to this business, we can help you do it. And we become their eyes and ears. I think that's the part, like all of us are used to having coaches in our in our lives. At some point, some we all had a coach and we either had really good coaches or we had really bad ones. Mm-hmm. And then also there's, there's personalities and there's coaches that we're going to gel well with and that are going to help us and, and see eye to eye with us. And not everybody that um, I work with is necessarily a fit. I try to be a lot more, um, I, I try to determine that a lot sooner now, the, the, mm-hmm. the more I've done this, um, so that I could save all of us, you know, the time and the investment and the money. But, but overall, as long as I have someone that comes into this with, um, I want what's best for my team, I want what's best for my patients and, and their parents, and I want a good home life balance, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, uh, we could help anyone in that situation. Okay. So then, so in kind of in review at this stage, the things that we've kind of talked about so far, um, cash flow being tight, you talked about marketing and getting new patients in is kind of key. And that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But that's, that obviously seems to be a popular one with just getting butts and seats right away. Um, controlling costs, mm-hmm. 
and um, just, I guess that last part was just kind of being committed, like knowing that, you know, having the right mindset that you're going to commit to this and you're going to make it work and just having, having yeah. the right mental attitude, I guess, seems to be sort of the common things that, that have popped up here at, at this stage. Anything else uh, you want to add before I shift us over to like an established solo doc or a small practice before we kind of shift gears? Another thing I wanted to add in there, and actually this applies to every stage. This is the biggest thing that I have heard from my doctors, no matter what stage they're in. Um, so typically when I first started with, with Julie Weir 10 years ago, the majority of our clients were already 10 to 20 years was the majority of what we saw, 10 to 20 years in practice. Mm -hmm. And the, the common theme was always, there's just not enough of me to go around. And there's not enough of me for my family. And female dentists, really, that mom guilt is a very real thing. Like, how could I be all things to all people? And then I have to go home and take care of all these kiddos and be there for them. Or I'm missing all of these things that my kiddos are going to that other stay-at-home moms are seeing and doing. So I I think that what you what every dentist needs to do is that when they say, I want to have this practice, well, in order for you to own your business and it not own you, you have to be really clear on what you want that business to look like and what you're willing to give it and know that the first three years are the hardest. They are so hard. And about year four, it starts like, it's like a baby, right? They're really, they need a lot of attention the younger they are. And as they get older and they go to preschool, you can kind of breathe a little better as long as all the right thing systems and the right people are in place. If they're not, you can continue that. I'll have doctors call me 20 years in that are still feeling as frustrated as what the day they opened. And so it's all about the fact that this is a business and it has its own, its own, it's its own entity. And you also need to take very good care of yourself. Yeah. And so for doctors, I just, that's my biggest thing is making sure that you're giving your body what it needs, proper nutrition, um, movement, just, taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, so that you could be the best you for everyone. You have to be able to recharge. Yeah. And I mean, and I, right. And I, I could, um, I could comment on that too. Just, it seems like the personality type that gets people to become a pediatric dentist and, and invest an extra decade of their life in school. And then the training involved in being the personality to, to work in a real high paced environment that is pediatric dentistry. And then to go even a step further and say, I'm not only am I, you know, have this much juice in the tank and, uh, you know, a high octane individual where I'm a pediatric dentist, but I also want to start my own practice and my own business and pile that on top of it. Like that's, it's hard because the, mm -hmm. the personality traits that it takes to do all that are not the personality traits that allow you to be content and say, all right, this is cool. Like I've kind of maxed out here. I'm just going to chill. I want to work three days a week and just see, you know, a handful of patients and then I'll be good. Like I, and this is me speaking more personally as well, but I know I've talked to a lot of colleagues this way, but it's just hard to turn that side of your brain off that, that says, okay, what's next? Like, what's the next level? Okay. I did this much in collection this year. Like, how can I improve that for next year? How can I see more patients? How can I, uh, in, you know, see six GA cases in a day instead of five? Like, it's really hard to turn that side of your brain off. And that's probably why burnout and just, you know, seeing dentists that are just totally shot seems to be a common trend in this established dental, you know, phase as, as dentists get later in their career. It's obviously such a common problem, but I think that's a big reason why that's the case. 
That is such a great point. And, and when they have everything in place and they realize, oh, I could do this. I can go to that next level without, without killing myself, without, you know, taking every ounce of me and not having anything left for my family. Or when I learn how to just reset before I walk in that door. And, and so I don't ignore my family the rest of that evening. You know, there's just, there's some practices and things that we can do so we could be our best selves wherever we show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that, you know, I'm trying to think of things along these lines, but you know, if you say a dentist that's been open, pediatric dentist owns a practice, he or she is, you know, pretty established, but they're a solo doctor. Most I would assume working four days a week, they've had the practice open five to 15 years and they just maybe feel stagnant or burnt out. And they, they come to you and say like, Hey Lily, like I want to get you guys in the office and kind of show you how we're doing things. I want to see like, if you can come up with a way to, to help this funk that I'm in or to break this, this plateau, I guess. And, um, if, yeah. if you kind of identify that the problem is that the doctor's burnt out or has too much on their plate or is stressed out, what are some of the, yeah. the common, um, things, you know, obviously you just mentioned taking care of yourself physically, getting enough sleep, nutrition, all that, but what other things do you kind of advise yeah. uh, are common that you advise dentists on to, um, try to relieve that pressure feeling, uh, on that side of the practice? Well, here, here's number one. Number one is that, and especially obviously with working with primarily pediatric dentists, like we do all day, you all are, are caretakers. You're very caring people. And what I find with a lot of pediatric dentists is that they're also codependent and they feel that everyone's happiness is on their shoulders. And what they have to realize is that that's not the case. So there is, there is this whole codependent area that we need to understand. I've had a lot of doctors um, start going to therapy. I, I, I think therapy is a wonderful thing. It's not a, a bad word. And, you know, if somebody is diabetic or has a heart condition, they'll take a medication for that. But yeah, when we want to help get help for, for mental health, it's, it seems like it's so taboo. And I'm hoping that these days people are realizing that the more that they can find outlets and places where they could share their thoughts and, and what they're going through. Because here's what I find. I'm grateful for Facebook, for social media, because there is an outlet for you all to connect and, and talk to each other. But it's still it's still not in person. <laughs> um, dentists seem to be very private and keep a lot to themselves about what's going on in their businesses because they don't want others to know or um when they do talk to others, they're not, they're comparing apples and oranges. So they're always feeling less than, or why am I not doing as well as them? But they don't know all the factors of why that practice is doing like it's doing or anyhow. So having some like-minded people, having a community of people that they can talk with and, and connect with um, is very important in this process. And then also the other, the other thing here, which you said to me, you have two administrative rock stars, is who is that right person? Who is that? Who is that office manager or practice coordinator, as we prefer to refer to them, that is also helping you with your practice? Because I find that a lot of times when doctors are miserable, they have the wrong person as their co-captain, and um, figuring out who the players are and who the surrounding that doctor with the right people that are going to support them, I've noticed makes such a huge difference. And sometimes the people, the the, the managers, don't even know what it was that they were supposed to be doing, right? We hire, most of the times what I'm finding is that someone opened, helped the doctor start up or through their acquisition. And that person by default, five years later becomes their manager. And so they'll call me 10, 15 years in, things aren't working well. And I'll say, well, what made you decide that was the right person to be your manager? And they said, well, they started with me. 
no, that's not the right reason. Mm -hmm. Does this person have the skills necessary? Are they coachable? Are they willing to do whatever it takes to help your business get where it needs to get? There's so many factors there. So a lot of times when I find unhappy doctors, I find the, uh, the wrong people around them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we help them, we teach them all the steps. We teach them how to hire and all that properly. Sure. Sure. I, uh, yeah, I, I had wrote a note down cause I didn't want to get too far past this, but, um, stepping back to that therapy part, you mentioned, obviously, you know, the team member, Yeah. my computer just went to sleep here. Uh, I love that you brought up that therapy topic <laughs> because that's, uh, that's something my, my wife and I just had this discussion this week, actually. Um, she has a very stressful oh. job. She works in intensive care unit as well. And, and, you know, we come home and we, oh. I complain about dental stuff and she complains about sick patients dying and, and, you know, you can complain to your spouse so much, but if you, you know, it, it obviously is helpful, oh, but, yeah. um, I, I've talked to enough people now, even people that are more successful, been doing this longer than I have people, not even in dentistry. You definitely, I, I think there's a nice shift in the, the mentality of, of the benefits of seeing a therapist strictly for just like you would go get a workout, you go for a oh, run, yeah. you lift weights, eat healthy, like taking care of that psychological well-being too, and just having somebody to talk to. Um, you know, it's it's. I've oh. quickly learned, you know, the that dentistry can be a pretty isolating field, especially if you're, uh, you know, in a practice by yourself yes. or a solo doc. You know, that's just it's to what you said. You're fixing everybody else's problems all day, and then you get done at the end of the day, and you just feel so shot. You don't really know who to talk to. You feel bad dumping it on your spouse. I think um, it's something I've I I have it on my immediate to do list is is maybe look up some sort of virtual counselor therapist or something, even just for a, a, a weekly check-in. These are the things that are stressing me out. This is what I want to talk about just to get a second perspective or a second set of eyes. Um, but, uh, I, I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because I think that's, um, I think that's a, uh, a, a barrier that people are breaking through a stereotype getting broken that a therapist can be a really beneficial thing for people that are in our position that have such high stress careers. Absolutely. And that, and the reason that I can direct people in that direction so often is because they will share so many things with me and, and, and will become their confidant. And, you know, we're not licensed to help with all of that. We have a lot of techniques and things we've learned over the years and all of our coaching um, conferences that we go to, all the stuff that we learn, we can help implement all the, However, at some stage, you just need to go to that next level and have no shame in it. And I share with my clients, look, I, gosh, I've been seeing a therapist 20 years. Like it's not something to be ashamed of. As a matter of fact, it's helped to make me more whole and be, be more prepared to help people. And that's what you're all in the helping business. That's what you do. You, you hear and you see so many things. You have to have an outlet to let that out and, and be able to move forward. Mm. Lily, do you ever, you know, on this burnout topic or I bring this up a lot, you know, the burnout thing, because mm -hmm. I feel a lot of these days, because I'm always doing these podcasts at the end of a really long, stressful day. So I'm, that's the topic that comes up no. a lot. But if somebody discusses these things with you, um, do you, um, do you frequently kind of advise Dennis on when to bring on an associate to maybe be a solution to some of these pressures, feeling like you're running everything in the office and feeling kind of burnt out, overwhelmed? Like, talk to me about when, when to bring on an associate. Is that a conversation you have a lot of with, with Dennis that are solo docs? Yeah, I do. I do. And I, and I have very interesting responses to that. So typically when I see a dentist schedule is completely booked all the time and, and there's a, there's a secret number like the six weeks. So if you're, you're completely filled six weeks for restorative, 
with absolutely no openings. Um, then we know at this point our practice is getting, and, and, and the new patients are scheduled far out and the GAs are scheduled far out, mm-hmm. OR, whatever. What we realize is, okay, now my doctor's saying, I feel guilty. I can't see all these people. So we say, okay, number one, do we have enough room? Do we have space to add an associate? And what would that look like? And many times I have doctors say, nope, nope, I don't want an associate. I, I've heard nightmares. It's all, it's awful. And I said, yeah, I get that. There is that side of it. And then I've also know sides of when you bring an associate on and it's life-changing and it's wonderful for everybody. And so, so there's two sides to that. Um, I would say more people are, are welcoming to that than not. However, I noticed with a lot of startups, they'll open just enough room for themselves, right? And so now we're bigger. So now we have to think, can we expand where we are or do we need to relocate? And, and so that's a whole other type of stress. <laughs> yeah. And in general, I would, you know, when I follow the the forums on IPDO and stuff, I've tracked a few of the archives yeah. down and you do here or on Dentaltown, but you'll see, um, it, it seems like that's not uncommon to see a dentist talking about that associate process. And then they bring that associate in and they go from working four and a half days a week to three days a week. And then at least helping in terms of not feeling that pressure of, Hey, I'm not in the office. The whole thing shut down. I'm losing money every day that I take off and actually being able to keep things afloat. Um, I, I would have to think a good chunk. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, I would think a lot of dentists in that position would, if they, if they put the right systems in place, as far as onboarding properly with the associate, making sure that they're prepared, not overloading them, making sure the whole office is all dialed yeah. in, you know, then I would, I would have to imagine that that would, you know, could definitely improve the quality of life of the, of the owner doc, I would think. It would, however, as human nature would have it, and, and and back to competitive nature and, and, and you, you all compete so much just even a, a, against yourself. So now we're bringing this other person into the picture and we have to realize that they're not there for us to compete with and we have to share patience with them. So we have to, we can't be territorial and we have to help our team understand what this transition is going to be like. And a lot of times the doctor themselves, the owner doctor can derail that whole entire process from being successful because of, um, jealousy, just not being mentally, emotionally prepared for what it's going to look like. Uh, the team members now having a different relationship with this doctor. There's a lot that goes into preparing for that process for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about when, as we kind of transition towards the, the, you know, I wanted to move us towards that, the far end of the, um, Mark Fernandez side of things where you're a well-established office, the office has been there forever. You've got maybe, yeah. A couple home base offices, a few satellites. There's three, four, six, eight pediatric dentists working there, and a team of fifty to a hundred people. And and this whole thing starts growing. You know, it, it seems like most pediatric dentists fall into one of two categories. They either stay a solo doc and you know hit the you know tap mm-hmm. out, hit their max at you know forty, you know fifty some patients a day, sixty patients a day, and they you know maybe collect one point four a year, whatever that whatever their cruising altitude is, and they say. I don't want to, I don't want to go that route of bringing on other dentists and opening up other practices, even though the demand's there, I'm tapped out, I'm in cruise control right now. And then the other segment of pediatric dentists go that route of let's, let's expand, let's, let's grow an acquisition and buy practices and bring on team members. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to touch for those listeners that I guess have more established practices with multiple doctors and stuff, but do you ever, um, re- talk to pediatric dentists that are at that crossroads where they're trying to, 
um, make up their mind. Hey, I've been, I've been, you know, we've, we've, we've got this well-oiled machine. I feel like, you know, maybe you look at their systems, their systems are pretty good. They've got a, a, you know, a lean overhead collections are good. They've got pretty good team morale, but they're a solo doc and just a little bit burnt out. They're like, you know, I could do this another 10 years if I wanted to, everything's working pretty well, but maybe the thing to do is do I, do I, you know, open a satellite. I was thinking about opening a satellite here and bringing on an associate and, and kind of starting to go that route. Um, what kind of conversations do you have for that dentist that's at that crossroads trying to determine what's the appropriate career path for me at this point? That's so such a good point there. What I find is, so there's a couple of thoughts there. First of all, Mark Fernandez, uh, one of my favorite, most favorite human beings. Um, it's, it's been such an honor to work with someone that has been in the industry as long as he has and that has the biggest heart and, and you could just see it in his interactions with his patients and, and parents and, and his team is just it's just a joy to be around and so here's a here's a couple of things one i want to talk about the satellite office in a moment but first i want to talk about how do we select that associate <laughs> see because mm -hmm. a lot of times what i'll find is a doctor applies for the position and, and they're a doctor and they have the skills necessary and they're hired no um, are they a culture fit? Um, do they fit your vision? What are their long-term goals? Like there's there's some things that we need to know about this person. What are their references say? We should still go through a hiring process with an associate just like we do for team members. And so that is one area where I immediately work with practices that have had lackluster associate relationships. And I teach them how to hire properly. And, and then we get the right fit. And now, now we can all work the way it needs, it, it looks the way it should. Hmm. As far as satellite offices, there's many times I'll work with doctors who have a satellite office and there's multiple doctors and we have this great space. And I say to them, why is that a satellite office? And, and, and they'll say to me, cause that's what it's always been. So I think the biggest, the biggest challenge for dentists is getting caught in tunnel vision and in seeing things the way they were in the past and needing someone to come by their side and open up the possibilities of, hey, this is the picture that you have in your mind. Let me paint a new one for you and show you how much better it can be and help you get there. And, and let's now bring all your colors and your taste and your and your ways of wanting to do things into this new vision. And now all of a sudden the satellite office that was open, you know, one or two days a week is now a full time practice. So when when we yeah, so so. The other challenge I have with this is when I see doctors that will open the satellite office and it's only one doctor. And now they have these two offices that they're working at part time, but they're paying 100 percent pretty much on all of their overhead. Mm -hmm. And so it's helping them to understand the value of bringing that associate on. It's, it's So there, there's a lot, you know, a, a lot of this all depends on that doctor. There is no cookie cutter approach to any of this. You're, you're probably finding this with all these different interviews you do sure. and everyone you talk to, how unique everyone is. For sure. hundred percent. It's finding what works for that person and their practice vision. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, what you had said about just making sure it's a right fit or that marriage is right with an associate. It's, it's funny. I'm not mm -hmm. really you, but it's, it sounds so good in theory, but you can just tell when you look at the, um, I guess called the job classifieds on either dental town or on Facebook or at, on the back of the, uh, yeah. the PD journals that we get when it's, you know, everybody seems to be so desperately mm -hmm. 
looking for good, like long-term associates. And back to what I had said earlier, a lot of pediatric dentists just aren't designed and built to be life, lifelong associates, even though I think I, I undervalued that historically. And I think there's certainly a lot of benefit to going that route. But it seems like a lot of offices are so desperate for help that if they can just find a, a body with a pediatric dental degree you know, the, that went through the residency, they're going to put them in there, even if it's not the best fit, which... Um, you know, to your point, probably isn't the best idea, but it just seems like it's a, the associates seem to have the upper hand right now, just because which, and maybe I think the corporate dental thing factors into that too. Um, but it just, it seems like people just want to hire a a pediatric dentist and get them in there right away, regardless if, if, if it's a good fit or not, just because there's a lack of supply to some extent, because maybe they're going to corporate or whatever. I know, I know. And unfortunately I've seen those, Hey, there's those rare exceptions where that can work. It's not the norm. It's no different than hiring team members and doing it that way as well. Hiring out of desperation rarely works. Having a good system in place and doing that efficiently and effectively and not looking desperate too. See, because you have to remember you're however you we we teach people how to treat us. So however I start that relationship with that person, if I'm coming into it desperate, what do you want? I'll give you what you want. I'll do what you want. Well, I've just created this stage for this is how our relationship is going to be. Now, try to backtrack and change that. That's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's when doctors are really frustrated because they went into the relationship in an unhealthy way. And so now we have an unhealthy relationship that needs to be fixed. Can it? Maybe. Depends on who the players are, who, who, who all is involved. So besides maybe associateship challenges, finding that right marriage finding the right associate to kind of build your team of professionals and work colleagues and everything. What other things um, do large practices, I guess, have issues with or take up a lot of your time on these coaching calls? You get the Mark Fernandez office that I think, I don't know, they've got three or some odd offices and a bunch of pediatric dentists. And obviously there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, um, but it's a, it's obviously yeah. a much different model than a solo practice, one one roof, one doc model. What, um, what are some other common issues or things that you get called in for problems that you see that you frequently have to get involved in for some of these bigger multi-doctor, multi-office practices? For those bigger practices, the big, one of the big pieces I see is that we have uh, partners, owners and associates, but mostly it affects the partners have such a a big say in what's happening in the practice. And, And when partners are not in alignment when they all see things, we're all going to see things a little differently. However, at some point we all have to come together and say, we are in this marriage and either we're going to make it work or we're going to have to get divorced. Right. And so either we say divorce is not an option. Okay. Then what is it going to take from each of us? What do I need to give? What do I need? Where do I need to compromise? And one of the things that I've learned over my leadership coaching is a lot of times, some of us are very good compromisers, but we're not very good collaborators. So it's like, okay, I'll just give in. It's not giving in. It's saying, I hear you and what you're saying. This is the biggest thing in any relationship that I find is a lot of times people are so busy talking, they don't stop long enough to hear what their partner is saying. And and so everybody, I'll, I'll, I'll walk into situations like this where everyone is saying just about the same thing in their own twist. And I just have to help them decode it and just go, okay, this is what you're saying. This is what you're saying. That's, oh, is that what it all was? Okay. So many times they just need a mediator to help them understand that they're all saying the same thing. Or sometimes they need a mediator to say, you're all saying something 
completely different. And this is how we need to all start looking at it and, and start figuring it out. So as long as what I've found is as long as people are willing to work with one another, uh, anything can work out. Hmm. The moment someone on that team, that, that leadership team, whether it's a doctor or it's a, it's a, it's a leader on the team is, is dead set on their way is the only way. Um, that's when it becomes very difficult to find common ground. And, um, that's a key in any relationship. I think when we walk into it thinking that we're the only one with the answers and our way is the only way we've already just limited ourselves tremendously to all the possibilities, uh, out there for us. And, hmm. but there, that's a real thing. Yeah. That is a, a big issue. I wonder if this would be a question probably for your husband, if he does the, kind of the finance side of things, but, um, me making an educated yeah. guess, some issues that, that could be, uh, that could kind of pop up would be it like, what to do if you've got three to five to plus pediatric dentists that all have equity in a big practice and they're trying to make these decisions and maybe they meet, you know, once a month or something, or once, once a week, or may, maybe you can chime in on what, what is a good amount of time for a bunch of owners that maybe don't see each other on a daily basis to get together. But go ahead and answer that. What, what would mm -hmm. you suggest? You've, so I don't, I, I want to make sure. I would, I, I, would I would suggest the minimum once a month, the minimum. I believe that if you're working through some challenges or you're trying some new things or you're just getting acquainted with a new partner, whatever, you may have to meet more frequently. Once a week is is, is great. I think your associates, when you are a bigger practice, you also cannot forget your associates. You have to meet with them at least once a month and, and let them know and, and find out what are their challenges? What are their struggles? How can we support you? That's a very important piece that everyone needs. Okay. Okay. So, so once a month you're meeting once a month, but you know, even with good communication skills, there's, I would imagine a frequent source of disagreement would be on what do we do with the extra cash and what, you know, what, what are we investing in? Do we, uh, you know, maybe the practice yeah. has X amount of dollars that we set aside every month for capital expenditures or for investing in, in more equipment or more mm -hmm. offices. But I, I'd have to imagine if you've got a bunch of different pediatric dentists, maybe one really wants a, a cone beam for these reasons, X, Y, Z, or one wants to invest in this one wants to increase marketing dollars. One wants to purchase a satellite. One says, why can't we just divvy that money up and take it home and, or pay down some debt or, <laughs> so, uh, you know, or, or like maybe, um, maybe a couple dentists say, Hey, I think we're to the point, you know, we, maybe we should look at, um, getting a, um, private equity offer or something or going to a, a DSO or a buyout or something. And then maybe a couple other dentists don't want to go that direction. But, um, I, I, ha I have to think that that could be a common source of debate amongst a, a large group of owners just because it's hard to get people to see, be on the same page as that. But any comments on that? Yeah, I think the big part of that is that dentists need to realize that you are, you're operating a business. And so you have to run it like one. I, and I know that's a real tough one for a lot of doctors because I'm in healthcare and I went into this to take care of kids and that's, that's fine. And you're going to do that and you're going to do that really well. And in order to continue doing it, we have to watch the numbers. We have to be aware of decisions we make as a solo practitioner. Easy. You just make whatever decision you want, when you want and how it affects the business. Okay. You deal with it. When there's multiple partners, the partners have to be comfortable with majority vote. Like you have to vote on things and you have to say, majority wins. If I didn't, if something didn't go the way I wanted, that's part of me being in a group. <laughs> like it's not a solo practice and I have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that goes back to that conversation, you know, when you're trying to start determining, do I go this route of having multiple dentists come in and, you know, if you start going down that path, there's a risk that you start giving up some autonomy and you're going to obviously have the, there's that give and take of, I've got people to cover me. I've got people to collaborate with. Um, you know, you don't have that isolation feeling, but you know, you're going to maybe give up some autonomy, the more cooks you get in the kitchen. So I, I definitely could see that being a factor as well. Um, that is a big factor. Mm-hmm. Lily, uh, so it, one of the last questions, I guess, bringing it back around to the consulting side of thing as we sort of wrap up here, one of the questions I had for you, um, and this is a bit of a personal question, um, I guess, in terms of uh, something that's coming to my head that I want to ask you, but in terms of like, if somebody's interested in hiring a consultant, um, you know, there's a lot, of, I don't know if there's, I would say there's a lot of competition, but I certainly have met a handful of consultants and you're trying to find the right person, um, that offers the right services that are right for your practice. Uh, you know, I'm just curious what different models or products that a typical consultant or a coach like yourself could offer. Uh, are, is there such thing, is there a preference amongst coaches and consultants in the way that they like to uh, conduct their yeah. business or products that they offer. And I guess more specifically in a, somebody like my position where, you know, you've got an established office, things are going really well. Um, but you know, there's not, you know, maybe a person's really on top of paying attention to their systems and there's not anything obviously wrong, but you think, you know, it might not hurt just to get a second set of eyes, kind of like a one-time, like, pay a one-time flat fee or something and have somebody just come in, take a look at like, here's all my kind of big picture numbers. This is what our schedule looks like. This is what my team consists of in my space. And these are kind of some of my goals. Is there anything you really see off or any changes that you would like to make? Um, is that something that's commonly sought after um, a product of, of that extent? Or do you and other coaches like to do more of a long-term follow-up subscription base where it's like, nope, I want to lock you in. We're going to do like, this is a long-term thing. I don't want to be involved unless I can make some long-term follow-ups with your office and try to go more of a long-term route. Um, what, um, just walk me through, I guess, some of those thoughts there. I would say from a long-term success. So when we are looking at working with a dentist and a team, we want to be able to help them put the proper systems in place. And then we want to be there to support because many times there's going to be a recommendation or there's going to be a decision that's made and that's put in place. And that's not necessarily the right one or the best one. And so we have to tweak it and we work through that process. So the the entire, so it depends on, on who the coach is. I, I've found that there's a lot of consulting firms that'll focus on entering insurance payments, on accounts receivable, on answering phones. And so our our business model is comprehensive from beginning to end, understand the business part, get the verbal skills and the systems in place. We found that when we work with certain departments, like let's say we're just going to work with the front office and we're going to give them certain skills, it works. It's Obviously, it's better than nothing. It just doesn't have the full team effect where everybody is is knowing what the other, you know, one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. And it's, it's so much better when the entire team can be part of the improvement and the change. Because what will happen is some something will stick for a little while. And then because everybody's not doing it, it just kind of goes by the wayside where that investment now is 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 gone. It's wasted. So what I noticed is that when the doctors do make that investment and they're willing to go there uh, with the team, it just 
it, it um, is exponential as far as the benefit. So I do have something that I offer called a discovery visit where I will go on site personally and I will, I will visually see the team in, in action and, and, and quickly determine um, who's our strongest players, who needs more skills, who's, who's not in it to win it. Like pointing it out, a lot of times we see flags that the doctor hasn't seen or refused to see or is conflict avoidant and doesn't want to see. That's a big piece of what we do is we just help doctors grow those leadership muscles and, and be ready to have those crucial conversations that are difficult yet necessary. That's a very big part of it. So when clients work with us, they just get blown away by the magnitude of what we offer and what we do. So, so there, therefore for us, it's really hard to say, we're just going to give you a little piece of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, and I can understand that. That's kind of why I, I suppose I asked that question. So it's, it's nice to get feedback there. Um, sometimes I think maybe dentists just aren't aware of what level of service that they would benefit from, from like a coach or consultant, just, yeah. um, you know, maybe you, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing out on. And and it all wraps back to the, what we first started talking about was, you know, pretty much every industry besides dentistry invests money in in consulting and improvement and quality control and and just having outside companies come in and take a look at their systems and just say, you know, these are the things that you could do better. So, um, so I, I think yeah. that uh, I think yeah, you definitely have a, a a good set of services that a lot of dentists could maybe consider looking into a little bit more. So, Lily, um. I guess in, in summary here, is there, I'm going to just let you kind of, um, you know, do a little self-promotion here and drop some contact info. Uh, but I wanted to see if there's anything else in closing that you had that I missed. Um, otherwise I'd love to know how, uh, how to get in touch with you. Like if our listeners maybe want to pick your brain or are at a certain stage, they wanted to, um, maybe reach out and, and have you help with something that, uh, an issue that they're having. So I'd get your contact info as well. If there's, if there's anything else. Okay, super. Yeah, I think going back to just that point that you made there about that investment, a lot of times dentists have no problem buying the latest technology or buying the being state of the art and having all the cutting edge tools and and products. And they think, well, I'm going to produce more. I'm going to produce better because of this. And that is so true. What they neglect to think is that all of these people around them are also an investment or or a lack thereof. And, and so if your practice isn't at the level that you want it to be at, or you know it can be at, you don't have the time to spend with your team to show them. You may not even have all the tools to give them. So just being open to finding the right coach to help elevate your practice to that next level, just just looking at that a little differently is, is very beneficial. The other thing to all of this too, that this works for every doctor, no matter what stage they're in. I learned this early on in my career when I bought the consulting firm. And I was really focused on my client care and making sure that my existing clients were getting everything that they needed, deserved, all that great stuff. And in the process, I was not very good on uh, acquiring new clients. And I remember Julie Weir one time looking at my numbers and saying to me, um, what, are, what are you doing? And I said, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing all of this. And she goes, well, what about over here? I said, well, I, I, I don't have time for that. I mean, I, I'm over here. And so the one phrase that she said to me that for what forever stuck with me for the last eight years was parallel lines. When you own a business, you must think about everything on parallel lines. And no matter what's going on over here, something is happening over here and over there. And you need to be paying attention to every area of your business or else something goes haywire, something falls through the cracks and it you find out 
you're the last to know and learn about it. So you have to be aware of every area of your business. And I, and I think that's such an important piece for every business owner and especially as dentists and, and um, how, how, how stretched you are and, and all you do. So a little more about us is uh, we write the quarterly newsletter, the practice management marketing newsletter for the AAPD. We've been doing that for 18 years. And um, back in the day, they used to send it in a in a flyer, in a newsletter, its own newsletter on, on paper. And then uh, about eight, seven years ago, they started putting it in the PDT, the Pediatric Dentistry Today magazine. So we're always on the cover and it says what page our article is on. So we're always writing what's relevant, what we hear our clients are, are, are struggling with in, in at that time. And then we also have an annual business leadership conference that we do for pediatric dentists and leaders, specifically for leaders. Typically, people come and they want to bring their entire teams because it's so inspiring, inspiring and motivating, and they get so much that they get bring back to their teams. But we just focus on uh, leaders currently. We do that every year, and our next one is September 14th through the 17th at the Four Seasons in Denver. Uh, and we still have a few seats open, so that's a, a great place to learn and grow. And I have alumni that have been coming to it um, since the beginning for eight years. They come back every year and bring team members and bring other leaders. And then also, um, you could find us at lcpcoaching.com. LCP Coaching is our um, on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us there. And then for your listeners, we have a, a free gift and. Every time we do a business analysis for clients, we put a checklist for success together for them, and it's several pages. And we just we just summarized it and and wanted to give your listeners some really good nuggets and pearls of of information they can use. So I will send you that link, and you can put it in the description of your podcast, and then any of your listeners are, can have that for free. I definitely will will do that. Yeah, send it my way. I'll put that, and I'll put some of your contact info. Is there a is it? Do you have an email that's good to get at you with or? Um... Or I guess you guys have a website as well. But oh, yeah. Somebody... My, my... Mm -hmm. yeah, my email is lily, L-I-L-L-Y, at lcpcoaching.com. And LCP, by the way, are my initials, Lily Cortez Pona. And they also stand for Lead, Connect, and Profit, which is what we help pediatric offices do. And then also, I wanted to give my cell phone number. Because if you have any listeners that have something urgent or something they want to run by me, I want to be available. And so that number is 303 4831406 Fantastic. That was a, a a wonderful summer. You're like a natural podcaster. I feel like you could uh you could you could rock this out. Like that was a nice oh. summarized way of like these are the things we do and here's how you can get a hold of me. So, and I appreciate uh, I know the listeners will appreciate um having the free the free tip. I can say that pretty confidently because about 5 times a week I get Facebook messages from uh new uh, pediatric dentists mm -hmm. listening that that are wanting to start a practice and want the link for the hidden pediatric startups startup Facebook page or want to the contact info for a dentist that was on. So I've just gotten in the habit of of making it uh, a direct here. So I know I have a lot of listeners that will appreciate, you know, the free nuggets that you're sending our way. So it's uh, it's appreciated. So thank you. Well, speaking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of, of lots of listeners, I was speaking with an orthodontist today. That's another thing. We help a lot of orthodontists that have pediatric practices. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she's, she was, she's listens to podcasts and tries to learn and she brought up yours. Oh, no way. And, and she says, I listened to Bruise and Tiny. Yeah, I was so excited. She's like, I listened to um, Dr. Casey and he talks about, brings all of these great ideas and is helping me to understand the business of pediatric dentistry. 
And I was like, that is so fabulous. I don't, I don't even know if you know how far you're, you're casting that net and how many you're helping, but you're, you're making a very big impact. And I'm so impressed that you're a dentist embracing this and doing this even after hours and as tired as you are. And uh, just as, as, as a representative of the industry, I am just grateful for you. And, and I'm glad that we have you and, and continue doing a marvelous work because we, we need more people like you. I love all the warm and fuzzies. That's it's really appreciated because there's a lot of nights where I feel like I'm just throwing things together because I'm just shot. Um, but you know, it's it is a lot to juggle doing the full time office and startup, and then coming home and knocking out these podcasts. But uh, it's my way of of keeping my sanity and networking and just being able to honestly just kind of bitch and complain about stuff in our field and just kind of network and talk. And you know, when you're when you're stuck just fixing teeth all day, you kind of long to just you know. Um, fraternize with other people in the industry. So it's a little bit self-centered, but I'm, I'm glad that I'm uh, causing a ripple effect and reaching out to other dentists and they find it beneficial as well. So that's pretty cool. Love it. That is cool. Well, I'm a, I'm a quote person. So I'm going to end with one quote by Albert Einstein. And it is this, this I heard this on a podcast the other day. And I, th I thought it was fabulous. The significant problems we have today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created them. The significant problems we have today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created them. And just always be open to learning and growing because there's so much in life to learn from, from the youngest to the oldest, you know, we just being the student of life is the key. I love it. Yeah, that's deep. That's a good one to end on. Lily, it was a pleasure. Thank you for uh, carving some time out of your night to, to speak to me and uh, look forward to seeing you at, you know, either an event coming up or maybe AAPD this next year. I'm um, looking forward to, to staying in touch. Awesome. Same here. Thank you, Casey. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.